0: It is good to see you once again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time together. This morning, we're going to take a break from our study in 1 Peter uh, to spend some time in the month of October uh, thinking about this Imagine initiative. And so today, uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 3, and then uh, we're going to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians and see what might Paul say to a church that's in a situation uh, like ours. And so uh, look with me here at Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 20 and 21 is where we're gonna be. And as you turn there, I I wanna ask you this question. I want you to think about this question. Uh, Who taught you how to use your imagination? Uh, Who taught you how to use your imagination? I would uh, assume that the same person that taught me how to use my imagination uh, taught you how to use your imagination. And that is to say that no one had to teach you how to use your imagination. I, I didn't have to teach my boys how to turn every inanimate object into a weapon. Uh, last night, my, uh, Olivia, she's almost three. Uh, she's great at using her imagination. She uh, had just uh, gotten a bath and she was in her princess pajamas and she was at the top of the stairs and she came around and I said, look, there's Miss America. And she said, I'm not Miss America, I Elsa and you're Kristoff. Right? Like, I didn't have to teach her how to use her imagination. She, she was born with it. Right? We were born to use our imagination. Our imaginations were given to us as a gift from our God to be used for his glory. Now, what's interesting is that some point in our lives, we go from using our imagination to almost ignoring our imagination. Ken Robinson, he's a scholar who studies Education and studies development, he says this. He says, by the time most kids become adults, they've lost the capacity to imagine. And then he asks this question, why? Why is it that we lose the capacity to imagine? He says, one of the things that we do is we make people terrified of being wrong. In fact, he goes on and he says, we're educating people out of their imaginative capacity. That, that we teach people, we, we teach kids how to stop being imaginative, how to stop using their imagination. And yet what we see all through the scriptures is this, is that God has given us our imaginations for a purpose. In fact, as we look here at this passage this morning, what we're going to see is that every disciple of Jesus has a responsibility to imagine for the glory of God. Now, if you're a note taker, you, you got that notebook when you came in. You can, you can flip towards the end of it, kind of the last third. You'll see week one across the top. That's a place for you to take sermon notes over the next several weeks. At the bottom of that page, there's also a place for small group discussions. And so as you go into your small groups, whether it be uh, later or uh, whenever it is, our small groups are gonna be discussing uh, these things. And so as we look here at Ephesians chapter three, we see that every disciple has a responsibility to imagine for the glory of God. Now look with me here at Ephesians chapter three. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect, precious, infallible, inerrant, inspired, all-sufficient word. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, the spirit of God says to us this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. This is God's word, you can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness to us. Father, thank you that you've brought us to this place as a church, We get to do what many churches will never get to do. Father, we get to imagine the future that you have for us. And so, Father, I pray that you'd be with us now, that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Every disciple has a responsibility or has the opportunity to imagine for the glory of God. And as we look at Ephesians 3, as we look at this passage, we're gonna see a couple ways that we're called to or a couple reasons why we must be serious about using our imagination for the glory of God. And the first one is this, is that God's power compels us to imagine. God's power compels us to imagine. God's power changes things. No one encounters God's power and remains the same. If you need a picture of this, look at Genesis 1. God is so powerful that nothing becomes something. That God speaks and simply because of the power of his voice, nothing turns into something. When God meets things, he changes things. And the amazing thing for you and I this morning is this, is that he invites us into his activity. He invites you and I into what he wants to do in the world. Now, a couple months ago, we walked through the book of Ephesians and actually preached on this passage, but I wanna remind you a little bit about what's happening in the book of Ephesians. Paul's writing to this church. It's a healthy church. It's a thriving church, but he wants them to be clear on what the gospel is. And so he spends the first three chapters unpacking this great gospel theology, great gospel doctrine. And then at the end of the book, the last three chapters, he's going to apply that gospel to their lives. But at the end of these first three chapters, Paul can't contain himself. And he starts praying that that the Ephesians, that they would comprehend the greatness of the gospel and the, the greatness of God's power. And then here in verses 20 and 21, he comes to the end of that prayer and he prays, he says that God's power should compel us to imagine. Look at verse 20. Look at this confession, He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Paul's confession about God is this, is that God is able. And God is able to do what he does in us because his great power is at work within us. Now this is not new that God is powerful. This is not a novel truth that God is great. In fact, if God is God, then he is powerful. A God who is not powerful is not a God. The surprising truth here is not that God is powerful. The surprising truth here is this, is that he invites us into what he is doing in his world. That he invites us to be used by him to accomplish his will for his world. On the beginning of verse 20, he says, God is able to do, and I love this, he says, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Literally, that God is able to do more than we can measure. Uh, I love the way the NIV translates this phrase. The NIV says that he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or think. God is able to do more than we can measure. He's able to do more than we can comprehend. For Christmas, I asked for, and I received a bread machine to make bread because apparently in your 30s, Martha Stewart becomes your hero. And so I wanted to, to start making bread and I got really frustrated with it over time. But, but one of the things that I learned in making bread is that there's no approximating. There's no estimating. Right, that you, you get that measuring cup and if it calls for a cup of flour, what it means is a cup of flour. It doesn't mean a cup of flour and then some. It doesn't mean an almost full cup. No, it means a cup of flour. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, don't try to measure what God can do. You do you're not equipped with the right tools. You're not a, equipped with the right cups. No, God can do more than you can imagine. God can do more than you can measure. We we could put it this way, that God's ability and God's capacity for giving far exceeds our ability and capacity for imagining or asking. That God can do more than what you can think. God can do more than what you can imagine. And because of this, Because of how great God's power is, one of the ways that we glorify God is we use our sanctified imaginations to imagine all that God wants to do. When was the last time you spent some time imagining for the glory of God? When was the last time you spent some time imagining about what God can do in your life? Or about what God can do in your home? or about what God can do through you at work, about what what God can do through you or with you at school and your friends. Maybe you've been thinking, and I need to live on mission where I work. Right? I, I need to, to be serious about, about taking the gospel to where I work. And, and maybe you've been thinking of different ways. And, and maybe you think, well, I know I should live on mission. I know that I should share the gospel with my coworkers, but, but I'm not sure it would work. I'm not sure how that would happen. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that. You might not be sure, but God is. Right? God can do it. God invites you to be used by him. The problem is not that we imagine things that are too big. The problem is that we imagine things that are far too small. And the reason that our imaginations imagine what is far too small is because of this. We don't fully comprehend God's power. We don't fully appreciate just how great and just how strong and just how mighty God is growing up, I I had this dream. This dream was that one day I would have a dirt bike. I think every little boy probably has this dream at some point. And so I went to my parents and I told my parents, I need a dirt bike. We have this land, we have this space to ride it. I need a dirt bike. And my mom very lovingly said, not a chance, (laughs) not not happening. But they said, look, if you want to save your money, if you want to work towards it, you can get a four-wheeler. I thought of four-wheeler was safer than a dirt bike, at least for me. And so I started working and I started saving and uh, over six months or so I had saved $400. Now you might know that $400 is not enough to buy a four-wheeler unless you know a guy. Right. And uh, and I know a guy who happens to be my uncle who he can find you just about anything uh, in whatever price range you're looking for. And so my uncle finds this four-wheeler and my dad tells me, he says, hey, uh, we have found a four-wheeler. I said, buy it. He said, we haven't seen it. We don't know anything about it. I said, just buy it. Look, here's the money. Take my money, buy it. And so he said, all right, fine, it's your money. So they go, they get this four-wheeler, they bring it home. And it was the ugliest four-wheeler you have ever seen. Uh, it had... It didn't have a body on it, like a plastic or fiberglass body. It was just the frame and the tires and the motor. And it wasn't just that this thing was ugly. It didn't really even run that great. So the key had been broken off in the ignition, and there were some other problems. So the only way to get this thing to crank was to hook it up to my dad's truck, to pull it behind my dad's truck, pop it into gear, and then hope that it would crank. Uh, And so you would get it to crank. And then once you got it to crank, after a few minutes of that and trying not to run into the back of the truck, you had to sit there for about 10 minutes, and you just had to let it warm up. She had to keep pressing the throttle, let this thing warm up. And so the first time I do this, I, I get on it and I'm, I'm holding the throttle. I'm, I'm letting it warm up. And my mom was very concerned. Now, I like to think that the reason she was concerned is because I'm her favorite child. And so she didn't want anything to happen to me. But she's, she's telling me all these rules. She's giving me a helmet. She's telling my dad, Gary, did you tell him this? Did you tell him this? Did you tell him this? And we're going through these rules. And I'm, I'm telling her, look, I, I've heard it. I understand, Right but I've got a need, a need for speed, right? I need to, I need to go. And so I get, uh, finally my dad says, all right, it's warm, be careful, right? Take it slow. Uh, and so I take off and within 10 seconds, I come around a corner and I go right into a tree, <laughs> right into a tree. Uh, and I, I wasn't hurt, I had a bruised ego and a bruised belly, uh, but other than that, I was okay. But I, I learned a valuable lesson that day. And it was this. Appreciate the power of what is powerful. Don't underestimate power. I wonder how many of us actually appreciate God's power. I wonder how many of us are guilty of underestimating not only what God can do, but also underestimating what God will do. Do we really appreciate God's power? Here's the great thing about God. Not only is he powerful enough to do more than we can imagine, he wants to do it. He wants to do it. That should compel us to imagine because of his great power. That should compel us to imagine for his glory. That not only does God invite us to imagine what he can do, but also we have a God who can do it, right? We have a heavenly father who can do it and who wants to do it. He wants good things for his children. He wants good things for his people. Here's the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that not only God can, but that God wants to? And as we follow him in faith, he will. You might say, well, Ethan, I've prayed for these things and they haven't happened. I can promise you this. The reason they haven't happened is not because God is not able. Maybe the reason they haven't happened is because God is so much wiser than you. He's so much wiser than me. He's so much better than me. He's so much better than you. He knows what we need when we need it. And as his people, understand this, God is ruthlessly and relentlessly committed to your good and his glory. And so we, we see here in Ephesians 3 that God's power compels us to imagine Next, we see this, that God's glory drives us to action. God's glory drives us to action. Here's the wonderful thing about this imagining for the glory of God that we've been talking about. This is not just a fun exercise. What we imagine God could do, God can do. Verse 20, Paul highlights God's power, but it's not where he finishes. Look at verse 21 he says to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen the purpose of god's power is that he would be glorified this is why jesus does miracles jesus does miracles in the gospels for two reasons one to confirm his message and his identity but also to prove his glory right? That that God's power is exercised for his glory. And here in verse 21, we see two places for this glorifying. He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Now, this might seem like a strange place, glory in the church. But see, the church is the best place where God's glory is seen and experienced. I started reading a book this week. It's called The Great Dechurching. It's actually written by two pastors uh, in Orlando. And they commissioned the, the largest study of former church attenders that has ever been done. And what they found was this. Over the last 25 years, 40 million Americans have stopped attending church. Now there's any number of reasons for that. But that is crisis level. And what is so, what's so dangerous about that is those who've stopped attending church, they're robbing themselves of seeing and experiencing God's glory. Or that the church is the place where God is pleased, most fully, to show and to give His glory, because do you remember what Paul said about the church? In a speech to the Ephesian elders, he said, this church, the church, was bought for with the precious blood of Jesus. And if Jesus thought the church was worth dying for, then we should certainly be committed to living with the church and in the church, and we should look forward to seeing God's glory active among the church. But it's not just that he would receive glory in the church, but he also says, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever and ever amen what's he talking about here why, why would he receive glory in christ jesus well this is paul's shorthand way of talking about the gospel the gospel is the greatest reason for this glory if you wonder why god deserves glory then look no further than jesus see, this is the good news of the gospel this is why we gather together this is why we celebrate see the good news of the gospel begins with bad news the bad news of the gospel is that you and I are sinners. And because we're sinners, we've, we've sinned. And what that means, what sin is, is it's missing God's mark. It's falling short of his standard. And because we've missed God's mark, because we've fallen short of his standard, what that means is that you and I, that, that me, that you, that all of us, every person in here and, and every person who has ever lived is deserving of God's judgment because of our sin, we have separated ourselves from God. And what we have said in our sin is we have said, God, I am better than you. God, I am stronger than you. God, I am wiser than you. God, I know more than you. We have rebelled against him. But God doesn't leave us in our rebellion. In fact, what the Bible says is while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. See, God didn't leave us in our rebellion. Instead, he sent Jesus Christ, his one and only true son, at the right time to live the life that you and I should have lived but couldn't. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life. He was tempted, but he never sinned. Jesus was innocent, and yet... Jesus ended up dying a criminal's death. Jesus ended up dying on a cross. This is why we have the cross behind us, why we make a a big deal about the cross here. That Jesus died in our place, taking the wrath and taking the penalty that our sin deserves. And understand this, the worst thing about the cross wasn't the nails It wasn't the beating, it wasn't the crown of thorns. The worst thing about the cross was this, that all of God's wrath for your sin and my sin was poured out on Jesus. That all of God's wrath that my sin deserves and that your sin deserves was given to Jesus. The Bible gives us this picture that Jesus took the cup of God's wrath, he drank every last drop, he flipped it over, and he said, it is finished. That Jesus died on the cross in our place, but the good news is that he didn't stay dead. No, Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, and it's important that the tomb be borrowed because he wouldn't need it for long. Jesus was buried in a tomb, and then on the third day, he rose from the grave. He rolled the stone, and he walked out. And here's why the resurrection is important. The resurrection is important because it proves that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross had been accepted by the Father. And now anyone and everyone who puts their faith and their hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone not only can be saved, but will be saved. That's why God gets glory in Jesus Christ. He gets glory in Jesus Christ because he has saved us who didn't deserve it. He he has saved us who, who couldn't earn it. He has freely given it to us through Jesus. Now what glorifies God is not simply that we would imagine what he could do. what glorifies him is that we would act to see what only he can do come about. That we would act, that we would take initiative because of God's glory. Now, you might say, Ethan, doesn't this take credit from God and give it to us? No, because God uses us to do what only he can do. Listen to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God has prepared good works for you and I, and it's not that we would do these good works and then we would be saved. No, it's we've been saved, and so now because we've been saved, as a response, we do good works. As a response, we are driven to action. Now, I'm not an artist, but I can appreciate good art. I'm not a, I'm not a carpenter, but I can appreciate fine craftsmanship. You know, I've, n- I've never looked at a, a wonderful piece of art. I've never seen the, the Mona Lisa. I, I've never seen Starry Night or any other painting or work of art you might think. I've never looked at those paintings and thought, man, I bet that he had a great paintbrush. I, I've, never, I've never looked at a great, a great work of craftsmanship and thought, you know who the real star is here? The hammer. The hammer is the one that deserves the credit here. No, the artists and the craftsmen get the credit, not the tools. You and I are tools in the hands of the master craftsman. He does the work. He gets the credit. We enjoy the ride. Right? We get to be used by him. God's will for you and for me and for our church is that we would take action for his glory. He's glorified when his people imagine what only he can do and then work to bring it about. If you need some examples of this, consider the story of Noah or of Abraham or of David or of Solomon or of Nehemiah or the prophets or the apostles. See, the story of God's activity in history is his people being compelled by his power to take action for his glory. When we take initiative and action for the glory of God, God is honored by his people. And it's because of that that we want to talk about the Imagine Initiative this morning. That The Imagine Initiative is an opportunity for you and I to not only imagine what the Lord will do because of his power, but then to take action because of his glory. And so we want to introduce you to that today. So turn your attention to the screens. <music> The story of Central has always been a story marked by two things. It's been marked by a big gospel and then it's been marked by God's people willing to exercise bold faith. If we were to go back 85 years ago to 1938, the Great Depression's coming to an end, although the people at the time, they weren't sure that it was gonna end anytime soon. And yet, uh, there were still a group of people there in downtown Sanford convinced that our community needed a new gospel work uh, to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. And so, even though they might have been unsure about uh, how they were gonna pay for this or how they were gonna fund it, they were convinced that God had led them to it and that God would do it. Several years later, they were convinced that God had led them to a permanent home. And from the 1940s through World War II uh, on into the 80s, they would continue to meet there. And yet then in the mid 80s, once again, uh, Central became convinced uh, that it was time to step out in bold faith and to go to a place, to go to a piece of property that didn't necessarily make sense to those watching, but they were convinced that the Lord had called them to go and they were going to exercise bold faith as they went it's been Central's conviction throughout our history that this big gospel, that it requires us as a church to be willing to exercise bold faith, and, and that's where we are today. We're convinced that because of this big gospel, that we, we need to exercise bold faith so that we can multiply disciples, we can multiply leaders, and we can multiply churches for our neighbors and the nations. We've come to this place in the life of our church that isn't new for the life of our church, but it's new for many of us. And it's this crossroads, this defining moment uh, for where we are and who we are as a church. Uh, Over the next five years, it's projected that 40,000 new neighbors will be moving into our community, and we are not ready for them. The current layout of our facility when it comes to kids and student ministries, when it comes to our parking lot, and when it comes to any number of other ministries that we have here at Central are nearing max capacity. God has been so faithful in using Central Church to make a spiritual impact among our neighbors and the nations for over 85 years. And it's because God has been so faithful in using our church that I want to introduce you today to the Imagine Initiative. The Imagine Initiative is a generosity campaign to upgrade our facilities and to fund the two-year missions and ministry plan of our church. Together, we get to each imagine what sacrificial commitments the Lord would have us make as He uses us to bring to reality this vision that we believe is going to be beyond anything that we could ask or think or imagine. When you think about the Imagine Initiative, uh, we can think about it in two buckets. The first bucket is Imagine Our Now. You know, over the last several years, we've seen new families join, we've seen baptisms, we've seen new small groups start, we've seen ministry done with great effectiveness. And as we embark on this Imagine Initiative, we don't want any of that to stop. And so, Imagine Our Now is the way to fund the next two years of our mission and ministry plan. In other words, it funds the next next two years of our budget, and this Imagine Our Now bucket is $4.1 million. The next part of the Imagine initiative is that we would imagine our next. Uh, I want you to imagine with me first a, a global influence for Central Church. Imagine with me a world where the sun never sets on Central's ministry. Imagine with me a world where we're partnering with church planners around the nation and around the world who are seeking to multiply disciples. Imagine with me a community here locally where we are have a location, have a presence and an underreached and an underserved community. Next, I want you to imagine with me a facility where Uh, the outside reflects what the Lord is doing in and through us on the inside. Uh, I want you to imagine with me uh, a facility where the parking is smoother and where the lobby is larger. Uh, I want you to imagine with me uh, a facility where our kids and student spaces are not only fun, uh, but they're also safe. the goal for this Imagine Our Next bucket is $3.1 million. Here at Central, we're convinced that whoever wants the next generation most will get them. And we believe that's us. We believe we've been called to want the next generation most and that uh, we're going to do whatever it takes uh, to reach and raise our kids and our students to know and love Jesus. So the total for the Imagine initiative between imagining our now and imagining our next is 7.2 million dollars. But before we have a goal for a dollar amount uh, we want to raise, our goal is 100% participation. Our goal is that every person who calls Central Church home would be involved and engaged in what the Lord is doing here at Central. Not, Not only through Central, but also in us as His people. What excites me about Imagine is I think that it has the potential to unify our church in a way that we have never been unified. As we come together, uh, putting our time and our talents and our treasures all into a one place, uh, where we are seeking what the Lord has not only for us as a church, but also for us as believers. And as we seek to follow Him, that He will unify us, and then He's positioning us uh, to make an impact in our community and in our neighborhoods that we haven't seen. And he's, he's using us now to set the course and to set the tone of ministry at Central for the next 30 years. Imagine is going to challenge us. It's going to challenge us to step out in faith. It's going to challenge us to trust that the Lord has brought us to where he has for a reason and for a purpose. And it's going to change our church as we get really, really committed to doing what the Lord has called us to do. And that's to make disciples, that's to multiply leaders, and that's to plant churches. And I'm convinced that through Imagine, we're going to see each of those things happen. And so I'm asking you uh, that you would pray and you would ask the Lord how he might have you be involved and be engaged with the Imagine initiative. You know, the cost of doing this is great, but the cost of not doing it is far greater. We have new neighbors who are coming every day, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we ready? We want to continue to be a church that's marked by a big gospel and a bold faith. And I believe that through the Imagine Initiative, that's exactly what we will continue to be. I believe that through the Imagine Initiative, that we will make an impact that will only be known in eternity. And so I hope that you're excited and I hope that you will come with us as we seek to see the Lord do more than we can ask or imagine. You know, we get to imagine all that the Lord will do in us and through us the ways that he'll use us uh, for his glory and for the good of our neighbors and the nations. But, but here's what we know and here's what we, we understand is that the only way this works is if each one of us surrenders all that we are to our God. And, and so that's the, the question I want to ask you this morning is, have you surrendered who you are to our God? Are you surrendered to his purposes in your life? So if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've, you've never come to that place where you've put your faith in him and, and believe that gospel that we just talked about, I want you to forget everything else you've heard today. I want you to forget the video, I want you to forget everything else you've heard, but I want you to think about that gospel. Have you turned from your sins and have you trusted in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone to save you? And if you have not, then why are you waiting? If you have not, what could be more important than that? Maybe you have. Maybe you have trusted in Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone to save you. Maybe maybe you call central home. Well, then here's the next question I wanna ask you is are you surrendered to God's purposes through your church and for your church? We get this picture in the New Testament of the church is a family, and of the church coming together to see believers made, to see disciples multiplied, and to see churches planted. And so we have this opportunity to come together now to make an impact, not just in our community, but literally around the world. What excites me the most is not new and revamped or streamlined ministry spaces, not easier parking. What excites me the most about the Imagine Initiative is that in the Imagine Initiative, we have the opportunity to literally change eternity. We have the opportunity to make an impact in the lives of our neighbors and in the lives of the nations that, that many of us will never know this side of eternity, but that through this initiative, through these sacrifices, one day we will be gathered around the throne of King Jesus, worshiping him, and there will be those next to us and in front of us and behind us who are there because the God used the imagined initiative to bring them to faith. Because God used the imagined initiative to change their eternities. And so here's, here's my ask for you this morning. If, if you're in that second group, one that you, you would commit to praying for God's work in our church. That's why I, I pointed out this, this card earlier. Inside this card are some stickers. You can put those stickers. I, mine is on my cell phone You can put it on your bathroom mirror. You put it somewhere that you are gonna see to remind you to be praying for God's work in his church through the Imagine initiative. On the back, there's a a daily prayer that you can pray each day as you ask the Lord and seek the Lord to use this. Here's what I'm convinced of because the scriptures tell us that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord does this, We work and we give in vain. And so we're praying, we're pleading that the Lord would build the house. And next you'll see that card in there. This is a commitment card. I'm not asking you to do anything with it today. But what I am asking you to do is to put it it maybe near that sticker, put it somewhere you're gonna see and be praying and asking how the Lord might be leading you to engage in, to get involved with the Imagine Initiative. Like you heard in that video, We have a dollar goal, but the primary goal, the first goal is 100% participation. And understand this, this is not about what God wants from you. This is about what God wants for you and about what he wants for us. And and so take that card and pray and ask the Lord how he might be inviting you to be involved. I I love on the back of this card, it it shows a, a way, it shows a realistic way that that we would hit this goal. And one of the things I love about it is it shows that it takes all kinds of people to do what God is calling us to do. And so I hope you'll take this card and you'll pray through it and then be back here on Sunday, October 29th. I hope you'll come the other Sundays too. Uh, But Sunday, October 29th is our Commitment Sunday. That's a day that we're gonna get to come together and we're gonna get to make our commitments before the Lord. No one's gonna know what your commitment was. It's between you and the Lord, but we're gonna to get to come together as a church and, and to make those commitments. And then on November 12th, we're gonna have a celebration Sunday where we're gonna celebrate what the Lord has done. We're gonna celebrate how he is using Central to make a lasting impact. That, that Sunday, don't make lunch plans. Our deacons are going to, to barbecue for us, as we celebrate what God has done. But before any of that, before any of that matters, what matters first is what have you done with Jesus? Are you trusting in Christ today? Or are you trusting in yourself? If you have yet to trust in Jesus, then don't wait. We want to give you an opportunity to do that even now. So just right where you are. You can pray something like, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I know Jesus is the savior. So Jesus save me. At the end of the service, our next steps team will be down front and you can come talk with them. They'd love to, to pray with you and talk with you and, and walk towards Jesus with you. Don't, don't let this moment pass you by. Right? Jesus is inviting you to trust him. Are you going to do it? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Father, thank you for inviting us into the work that you are already doing in our community and around the world. And Father, we pray that we would be faithful to do what you've called us to do. And so Father, I pray that you would you would use this Imagine initiative to be a great blessing to your people and to be a great blessing to the world around us. Father, I I hear stories about revival. There's stories about the great awakening and about the the revivals that swept through New York City in the 1800s. Lord, we want it here. And so Father, we're, we're praying, we're asking that you would do it again. And Father, that you would start today. So Father, we pray that as we we enter into this season together, Lord, we pray that this would be the sweetest season of intimacy with you that we have ever experienced. And it would be the strongest season of unity that our church has ever known. Father, we want to imagine for your glory and we want to take action for your glory. And so Father, we pray that you would use us beginning even now